How would you define Messianic Judaism? Same foundation and same ultimate end as Christianity, but an important role of Israel and of Jesus as a Jewish man being the Jewish Messiah. Welcome back and thanks for joining us on A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your host, Ezra Benjamin. And I'm Carly Berna. And we are, respectively, a Jewish believer in Jesus and a Gentile Christian. We share what's most important to us in common, our belief that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the whole world. And we're here on this podcast to discuss with you matters that affect you as a Christian, not just from the scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, but also matters that uh, inform how you read the headlines we hear coming from America, from Israel, from the nations of the world. We want you to be better informed and to understand the unique and enduring relationship between Christianity and Judaism that comes together uh, for those of us who are believers in Jesus. So lots to discuss today, Carly. We're going to focus on the differences between Christianity and Messianic Judaism. And so I'm coming as a Jewish believer in Jesus from a perspective having grown up a little bit in the Messianic Jewish world. You're coming from the evangelical Christian world. And uh, today we're going to unpack that because it informs how both of us look at the issues we discuss on this podcast. So in a way, it's one of our foundational episodes. But for our listeners at home as well, maybe you're saying, wait a minute, why can't we all just be the same? Why is Ezra distinguishing and saying Jewish believer in Jesus or Messianic Jewish? Uh, aren't we all just believers in Jesus? Aren't we all Christians? So we're going to unpack that a bit today. Let's discuss. Define Christianity. Yes, I just said that. Define Christianity. Definitely. Well, luckily, most of our audience probably are Christians, so... Yeah. Uh, hopefully they know this, but we're just trying to set some foundations before we look at the differences between Christianity and Messianic Judaism. But Christianity is based on the life and teachings of Jesus, you know, kind of the idea God created the world, a perfect relationship with him. Then mm -hmm. the fall of man occurred. Um, mankind sinned. There was a separation of the relationship with God. Eventually, Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice for our sins bringing redemption available to anyone who accepted him as their savior, restoring that relationship between mm -hmm. us and God. So that's kind of the four quick principles of Christianity. Good. And so the the gospel, we use we throw that word around a lot, right? It's gospel music or uh, this is gospel-centered or the gospel central to Christianity. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, the, the main verse you see, you know, on every football player with black on that says John 3.16 can kind right. of define the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever mm -hmm. believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, you know, Jesus came for those who accept him. They can receive him as their Messiah. But really, that's the part that most people pay attention to for the gospel, accepting Jesus. But there's a second half of the gospel, which is uh -huh. the Great Commission. Matthew okay. 28, go and make disciples of all nations. So accepting Jesus is not the end of the gospel. It's accepting Jesus and then going out and sharing the gospel with others. So I think mm -hmm. it's important to note that it, it the relationship doesn't just end once you accept Jesus and then you're good for the rest of your life. We're commanded mm -hmm. to go out and tell others um, about Jesus and share the gospel. Right. And it's interesting that distinguishes Christianity in a way from a lot of world religions. A lot of world religious systems are kind of about me and mine, right? Like I, I believe this and this is my system. This is my lifestyle. And I want my family to be aligned with it too in my community. But Christianity in the sense of the gospel, 
uh, is really about everyone else, right? Me coming to faith is just step one. Right. And we go from there. Yeah. Right. So a lot of, I mean, I think the other distinctive about Christianity is that it, it's based on love. If you look mm -hmm. at a lot of other religions, they're not based on that. They're based on all sorts of other things, doing things and whatever. But it's really about, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus coming, God loving us and sending his son. So let's switch back. I just defined Christianity. Right. How would you define Messianic Judaism? Yeah. So I'm going to start the same way you did, and then I'm going to diverge a little bit. So same way you did, God created heaven and earth, right? And he created man in his own image, male and female. He created them in his image, Genesis 1, 2, 3. Uh, man falls into sin in the garden and he's separated from God. And we know that because we're all born in Adam, we're all under sin. Here's where the story is going to diverge. Christianity in many ways skips ahead to, and we need a savior and it's Jesus. So Messianic Judaism fills in the blanks. Not saying one's better or worse, we're just discussing, so nobody get nervous, nobody change the channel yet. Um, but what do I mean by fill in the blanks? So in Genesis 3, uh, really it's the, the pronunciation of the curse, but hidden in this is, uh, I'm going to use a fancy theological term, the proto-evangelion, the first foundation of the gospel, the necessary first steps of the gospel. What do we mean by that? Uh, we know that Satan, it says, is going to bruise the heel of the woman or the descendants of the woman, right? From you and from your seed will come redemption. And the word seed there is literally kind of kind of awkward, but it's literally from your sperm, meaning from your physical, literal DNA descendants is going to come one. Satan's going to bruise his heel. He's going to give him a hard time. But this one is going to crush Satan's head, crush the head of the serpent. So right here, you have the death sentence for the serpent, for Satan, for the enemy. And it's going to come from the seed of Adam and Eve. And we understand a few chapters later that God calls out Abram, who becomes Abraham, from this foreign land and says, you know, I've chosen you and your faith has made you righteous in my sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And God again speaks to Abraham and says, I will bless your descendants, your physical seed, and they're going to inherit land, and I'm going to make them as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so this idea of this blessing, this overcoming of the curse and separation from God that's going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth is promised to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we understand that to be the Jewish people, the prophets, the kings. Moses even said, you know, there's one, he says to Israel, who's following Moses as God's messenger to them. And Moses says, there's one coming after me. Listen to him. He's greater than I. Um, and then the prophets also see the days of Messiah. Uh, Isaiah talks about one will be born to a virgin and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God, Prince of Peace. Um, and then in Isaiah 61, uh, answering the question you didn't ask me, but I'm going to go for it. What is the gospel in Messianic Judaism? The gospel in the New Testament we know in the Greek is Evangelion, right? The proclamation of the good news of the Messiah, of Jesus. But that's not a new idea. The idea of the good news um, from God actually is an Old Testament idea, Carly, and we see it in Isaiah 61. Again, Isaiah is seeing the days of the Messiah, and uh, he's he says this. He's kind of speaking in the voice of the Messiah as the Spirit of God, you know, uh, moves him to pen these words. And he says, "The Spirit of God is upon me," capital M in some versions, to proclaim good news 
to proclaim release for the captives and healing for the sick and life to those who sleep in the death and the binding up of the brokenhearted and the day, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And so the words there, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. It's the same idea as evangelion. The word in Hebrew is besorah. And so Messianic Judaism is the belief that the besorah, the good news from heaven related to the Messiah is found in none other than the person of Jesus, Yeshua, who came at the right time, in the right place, in the right circumstances, born to a virgin that the prophets promised he would, who died in the way that the prophets promised he would, Isaiah 53, namely, pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and uh, was raised from the dead by the resurrection power of God, uh, as the scriptures foretold. You know, David says, your holy one shall not see decay. And the word there for holy one or anointed one is Moshiach, Messiah. The, the chosen one of God shall not see decay. So uh, back on the highway here, Messianic Judaism starts the same way that the story of Christianity does, but recognizes that the promised there would be a promised Messiah who would come forth from the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, namely the lion of the tribe of Judah. So from the tribe of Judah within the house of Israel, and that he would come first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and also for all people as we understand from the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, you know, the, Isaiah says it's too small a thing. Uh, actually, excuse me, it's Jeremiah. It's too small a thing that the Savior should come to, to rescue and to redeem Israel, but I'll also make him a salvation to bring my light to the ends of the earth, to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so from the Old Testament, Messianic Judaism is the belief that God has sent a Messiah and that he's Yeshua Jesus, first for the Jewish people, but also for all men. And the gospel, the Besorah, is the Evangelion. The Old Testament gospel is the New Testament gospel because it's one story, not two. So there's a long-winded answer to your question about what is Messianic Judaism. Same foundation and same ultimate end as Christianity, but an important role of Israel and of Jesus as a Jewish man being the Jewish Messiah. So interesting. Most people, when they think of Messianic Judaism, if they have any background, they think it just started like you know, 40 years ago or so. But right. are you saying that Messianic Judaism started like in Genesis 3? That's exactly what I'm saying, Carly. And it was confirmed by the prophets and uh, Jesus himself, right? Says, I've come first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the idea, go make disciples of all nations, starting in Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria. In essence, this idea, and we see it in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Again, that word evangelion. I'm not ashamed of the good news of the Messiah because it's the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes. First, it says in Greek, proton, necessarily first to the Jewish people and also to all nations. And that verse, you know, we quote on almost every podcast is because it's so central to so many of the things that we discuss. Um, but the idea there is that Yes, Messianic Judaism started in Genesis and it carries through to Revelation. In Revelation, it's very clear if we don't just allegorize the whole book and take it to really mean what it says, unless we have a reason not to, there's actually physical descendants of the tribes of Israel standing on the Mount of Olives in the day when he returns. It says 144,000, for example, from all the tribes of Israel singing the song of the Lamb, in essence, worshiping Jesus. So Messianic Judaism, yes, starts uh, right from the beginning that from Israel, from that, that root of the olive tree of Israel would come salvation, but not just for us. 
And I think that's sometimes, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, that's a bit of a misconception, right? Is that people say, oh, well, Messianic Judaism says Jesus and salvation and all the blessings of God are just for the Jewish people. No, through the Jewish people, first for us, and also at the same time to all peoples. And our job is to be messengers of that message, not just hold on to it quietly for ourselves. So the gospel, of course, is for all people, but is Messianic Judaism for all people or only for Jews? <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Uh, there's a very good Jewish or Messianic the Jewish subtitle, the subtitle of our podcast. Yes. and no. Yes. Yes. And no, that's exactly. We should, we should make a coffee mug that says yes and no. And <laughs> Jew and a Gentile discuss. So yes and no. What do I mean by, I'm going to start with the no. Uh, here's why Messianic Judaism by definition is Judaism. It's the idea that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who came first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that the destiny of Jewish people, the full dream and the heart of God for our people is to recognize and receive redemption, salvation, reconciliation to God through Jesus. And if somebody's not Jewish, I mean, in, in, in uh, modern Judaism, there are ways through the rabbinical system to convert to Judaism. But the idea generally is you're Jewish because you were born Jewish. And so Messianic Judaism also recognizes this idea that Judaism, as much as it's a faith, is also an ethnic identity, right? If my mother or my father is Jewish, and we could unpack that for a half hour, but one or both or a grandparent, I'm also Jewish. And so Judaism is for Jewish people. Um, if somebody receives Jesus and starts celebrating the Sabbath on Shabbat on Saturday instead of Sunday and starts uh, wearing a head covering and learning how to pray in Hebrew, that doesn't make them Jewish. Okay, so in that sense, no, Messianic Judaism isn't, uh, non-Jewish people can't become Jews by practicing Messianic Judaism. But the yes is this, just like we were talking about first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but also that's too small a thing. The idea is that the message, the salvation of Jesus is proclaimed to all the ethnos, all the nations or people groups on the face of the earth, Jew and Gentile alike. And so in that sense, yes, joining with the Jewish believing community in Jesus, worshiping God on Saturdays instead of Sundays and joining with the Jewish people in that, celebrating Jewish holidays, understanding the Hebrew roots of someone's Christian faith is absolutely for, for a non-Jewish person. They're invited into that. And super important here, is it an issue of righteousness or obedience before God? No, it doesn't, it doesn't get you into heaven or keep you out of heaven. It's not an issue of being righteous versus sinful in the eyes of God. It's an issue of identification, you know, choosing to stand with the Jewish people and how you worship God. Sometimes it's an issue of obedience. You know, I have some Christian friends, Carly, and you and I at Jewish Voice work with some people who absolutely were not born as a part of the Jewish community, didn't grow up Jewish. But at some point in their young adulthood, God called them, in essence, to give their life to the salvation of the Jewish people and to participate in Jewish life alongside Jewish believers. And so there's an invitation, but not an obligation. So yes and no. So this is, uh, you know, uh, kind of a loaded, big sure. question, but what are the major differences between Christianity and Messianic Judaism in practice? Yes, it, it's a huge, it's a huge question. Uh, I want to say, first of all, though, what are the similarities, right? And we've said yeah. it before, we say it almost at the beginning of every podcast, but I just want to highlight the thing that we have in common. Jewish or not Jewish is our belief in Jesus, which is the most important thing. Messianic Jews and Christians believe, like Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
It's this, this exuberant declaration of faith that Jesus is the promised Messiah. We all have fallen short. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, but we can all be redeemed through Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. And in that sense, there is no difference. So to answer your real question now, what are the differences? I'm just going to highlight a couple and we could go on, but you know, it's, it's a podcast, so we got to keep it under 16 hours. So one <laughs> that we were just talking about is uh, Messianic Jewish communities tend to worship on Shabbat. What do I mean by Shabbat? Shabbat is uh, the idea that God said he rested on the seventh day of creation and he made it holy. He sanctified that day. And interestingly, Carly, it's the first thing in all of creation that God set apart as holy, according to the scriptures, was Shabbat. So Messianic Jews believe that the seventh day of the week, between Friday night at sundown and Saturday night at sundown, is a day for ceasing from our regular work and for worshiping God. So Messianic Jewish communities are going to worship on Saturdays. That was true in Old Testament times. That was true in the time of Jesus. That's true today. And it's true for most Messianic Jewish communities around the world. Christians, as we know, are generally going to worship on Sunday. And how did that whole thing start? Because we know at dawn on the first day of the week, which we understood with the Hebrew context there as Sunday, not Monday, Jesus rose from the dead. And so every week, Christians gather together, in essence, to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was the confirmation of his lordship and that we have forgiveness of sins. So By the way, if you want to hear Ezra and I discuss our two different opinions on Shabbat, we have an episode coming up in the next couple of months on that. So mm -hmm. stay tuned. A lot of discussion. Look for that one. Bring your earplugs. It might get loud. <laughs> uh, okay. Secondly is the holidays. Christians are generally going to celebrate Christian holidays, right? We have Easter. We have, for, for some who kind of observe maybe a high church or a liturgical calendar, there's the season of Lent before Easter. Uh, there is Pentecost and there's Christmas and there's, for some, they celebrate Epiphany and, you know, there's other days, Maundy Thursday and Ash Wednesday. Anyway, I'm getting carried away, but Christians generally celebrate Christian holidays. Uh, Jewish communities, Jew uh, Messianic Jewish communities to be exact, will tend to still celebrate Jewish holidays, which were inaugurated in Exodus and Leviticus as God's bringing Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery and giving them the Torah in the wilderness uh, in the Sinai Peninsula or thereabouts. And those holidays are still celebrated today. So that's Passover. That's uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, which is uh, synonymous in, ter in terms of the calendar timing with Pentecost. And there's Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, or the Feast of Trumpets in the fall. And there's the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. Uh, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. There's Hanukkah, which is not a biblically prescribed holiday, but we know and believe Jesus celebrated that and Jewish communities since about 400 BC have been celebrating that holiday. More on that on our Hanukkah and Christmas episode. So uh, check that one out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but moving on, the third key um, way that I would say the communities are distinct, Carly, between Messianic Judaism and Christians would be uh, the liturgical elements of a typical worship service. So Christians, if you're high church, you're going to have communion every Sunday and you're going to have the reading of the word and you're going to have uh, reading the Our Father, right? The Lord's Prayer. And these are things that are going to happen every week, predictably, as, as part of the, the kind of the, the foundations of those denominations. If you're less liturgical, there's still going to be probably communion every week or every month. Um, there's going to be certain prayers that are said in the community or not based on the idea that we don't want rote repetition. So some churches actually 
pride themselves on not having any liturgical elements and you have everything in between. Um, Messianic Jewish congregations are going to do uh, Hebrew liturgy. Some is modern, uh, but some actually, Carly, draws back to thousands of years ago. So for example, in almost any Messianic congregation you go to, regardless of how observant or not observant they are, every time they meet weekly for their worship service, they're going to pronounce uh, or recite together the Shema. The Shema means the here, and that comes from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's a common liturgical element. You're going to find that probably in no church that you ever visit, but you're going to find it in almost every Messianic Jewish synagogue. So those are some of the differences, the day of worship, the holidays, and the liturgical elements. We could go on, but those are just to name a few. So we're going to go on and talk about if Ezra's trying to convert Christians into Jews and if I'm trying to convert Jews into Christians. Uh -oh. But before we do that, we want to talk a little bit about how you can partner with us at this podcast. Um, this is, you know, one of our foundational episodes, but uh, we care about Israel and the Jewish people and what God is doing around the world. And uh, if you do as well, we have a way for you to partner with us and do that. And it involves coffee. And if we haven't mentioned yet, Ezra loves coffee. Yep. Um, I just finished my first mug now. Yeah. So we have a great opportunity for you, which is that we partner with Jewish Voice and we do outreaches around the world. We bring medical care and tell them about uh, Jesus. And one of the countries we go to is Ethiopia. Um, we, like I mentioned, we set up these outreaches. We care for tens of thousands of people uh, each year, and we have the opportunity to also source great coffee from Ethiopia. So, if you partner with us, you can receive that coffee as a thank you uh, as often as once a month if you'd like. You can get all of the details about that on a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. But if you feel like you want to bless Israel and the Jewish people, but you're not quite sure where to start and you want to learn more uh, about what we're doing, it's a great way to do that. Uh, there's even information on the website about who these people are in Ethiopia that we reach out to. Um, so check that out. Um, and it's just a great opportunity to get involved and also support this podcast. So back to the conversation that we're having. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to jump to the question that I just teased, which is, are you trying to convert Christians to become Jews? Yeah, great question. It goes back to what we were talking about a few, a few questions ago, Carly. It's an invitation, not an obligation. So one of the biggest, um, let me say, pain points that Christians are going to have in relating to the Messianic Jewish community is this idea that Messianic Jews are telling Christians that they should become Jewish. And there's a word for that, it's Judaizing. That means making Jews out of people who aren't Jews or telling them to be more Jewish, start keeping Torah, start uh, only eating foods that are biblically kosher, start worshiping on the Shabbat on the sa on the Saturday. And if you don't, you're somehow in disobedience to God. And super important, again, it's an invitation, not an obligation. So the Messianic Jewish community is and should be, in my opinion, others might disagree, but this is my opinion, and I have the mic on this podcast, so I'm going to give it, um, should be welcoming Christians to join with them in worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as an invitation, as a way to understand the Hebrew roots of your own Christian faith, as a way to understand the deeper things of what God's doing, and super important to us uh, in this podcast, as a way of Part of forming friendships and relationships in the Jewish community that will allow the Lord to just impart a burden on your heart for what 
he really wants to do with Israel and the Jewish people. Carly, you know, we can be super educated on the Jewish roots of our faith, uh, but if at the end of the day, what's important to God's heart in relation to his chosen people isn't on our heart, we've missed something. And so that's something we just want to continue to emphasize on this podcast. Understanding the plans of God for Jewish people and receiving the heart of God for Jewish people are both important, and there's an invitation to both. So uh, I, I think it's wrong to tell Christians that they need to convert to Judaism. There's not an issue of righteousness there. You don't get better standing or choice treatment in the eyes of God if you're a non, non-Jew non and you convert to Judaism. And as a believer in Jesus, I would ask the question, why, why is it necessary, right? Jesus has provided the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything we need for reconciliation and peace with God through the gospel, through receiving him as our Lord and Savior. Uh, Participating with the Jewish community, especially a Messianic Jewish community where you can openly worship Jesus with them in Jewish ways, that's awesome. But requiring or obligating or compelling people to become more Jewish or take on Jewish customs, uh, not necessary and even uh, misguided, in my opinion. So uh, we'll put you in the hot seat now. Are you, as a Christian, trying to convert Jewish people to become Christians, to change to your religion? Yeah, well, I think the first issue is the word convert. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on um, one of our last podcasts, is that the idea of converting Jews to Christians is not what we're trying to do. Um, right. Of course, we want to tell Jewish people about Jesus as the Messiah, But that doesn't mean that if a Jewish person accepts Jesus, that they have to convert from Judaism to Christianity. It's just, you know, the fullness of their faith of recognizing Jesus as their Messiah. I wouldn't want any Jewish person to abandon their Jewishness to become Christian. So I think there's just an issue with the word convert. um, But of course, we want to tell Jewish people about their Messiah so that they Mm -hmm. accept him as their savior. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Carly, a little bit lighter question for a minute. What would be the strangest thing uh, if I'm, you know, I'm a Messianic Jew and let's say I've never been to an evangelical church. What's going to be the weirdest thing for me in a typical evangelical service uh, as a Jewish believer? Having not, let's say, theoretically, I've never experienced any of it. Yeah, I think some of the symbolism in the words, like the cross... I think would be uh, mm-hmm. something that you're not used to. The the music and the liturgy, um, you know, as you mentioned, Jewish people have their own music and liturgy. Depending on what denomination of a Christian church you go to, from Catholicism to evangelical, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to have all sorts of different music and liturgy. And then mm-hmm. also just unfamiliar language, um, like Christ and mm-hmm. other kind of Christianese, I'll call it. Uh, right. that a Jewish person just might not be used to. Um, but I guess same question, Ezra. If I went to a Messianic Jewish congregation, what mm-hmm. would be the weirdest thing for me? Yeah, uh, probably, you know, at first blush, Carly, uh, the presence of Hebrew language. I think in most Messianic congregations, you know, some are going to do pages and pages of Hebrew and English liturgy just because they adopt a more traditional style which would, look similarly uh look similar to many mainline jewish congregations or synagogues uh in in the country where they are 
others aren't going to do as much. But generally, if you go into a Messianic congregation, even if it's just hearing the Shema that we talked about, Hero Israel, it's going to be recited in Hebrew. And as a Christian, if you've never heard Hebrew before, you may be thinking, okay, we're all, you know, let's say this is in America, right? And you go to Baltimore and you go into a Messianic congregation and you're going to say, wait a minute, this is America. Why are we, why are we, why are we speaking this ancient Middle Eastern language? What gives? But the idea there is that the Hebrew language and the Jewish people are inextricably linked. What do we mean there? Is there something mystical or uh, holy happening just because Hebrew words come out of your mouth? No, not necessarily. But the idea there is that there's a significance in the language in which the scriptures were written. And because it's the responsibility and the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, right? That Paul says it, and it's the idea is throughout the Old Testament. And one of the callings on the Jewish people is to preserve the words of God. Now, Jewish people generally understand that to be the Old Testament exclusively, which we call the Hebrew Bible. But we understand as believers, it's the entirety of the word of God, Old and New Testament. Well, how do you preserve something best? By keeping it in its original form. And Hebrew is the original form for the Old Testament scriptures. They were all written in Hebrew. Maybe some of the books were written in Aramaic after the Babylonian exile and return, but most of the content was written in Hebrew. And so a Messianic congregation is going to have a lot of Hebrew language or maybe only a little, but I would say don't be weirded out. And if you're really interested and want to be a quick study when you visit a Messianic congregation, look at one of the words like Shalom or Shabbat and do a word study on it. You can Google it on your phone, maybe not during the service, but you know, at some point you're going to find a depth to the Hebrew language, which may really add to your understanding of some of the ideas you knew or you thought you knew, but never understood the fullness of. So, uh, but I want to acknowledge that for an American English speaker, uh, the presence of Hebrew language is going to be a little uncomfortable. Nobody expects you to learn it or pronounce it right. Most of my family doesn't pronounce the Hebrew right. Uh, and it's been around in our in, you know generations and generations. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's a lot of grace for that, but just expect that, even if it feels weird, push through that. Yeah, I'll say if you keep listening to this podcast, you'll learn about a Hebrew word per podcast from Ezra as he's quoting different things. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's jump back a little bit to when we talked earlier about the gospel, right? It's accepting yeah. Jesus, but then also the Great Commission. So mm -hmm. a lot of churches, they have an outreach department, right? They go and yeah. they do missions around the world. Right. Um, question I have is, does Messianic Judaism do missions like the church or do they, if they do, do they only try to reach Jews or what does that like outreach division of a Messianic Jewish congregation look like? Again, good Jewish answer. Yes and no in terms of do Messianic Jewish ministries or congregations do missions like the church. I would say that in the same way that um, the evangelical world has parachurch organizations that do missions, you know, and sort of uh, exist to do outreach and build relationships and communities. And the end goal is uh, sending new believers for discipleship in local churches. I think there's a similar model, Carly, uh, in the Messianic Jewish world. Messianic Jewish congregations, I'm going to kind of step out on a limb here and say, could be doing more in terms of outreach than they are. And that's an area, honestly, I'm just going to say for our Christian audience that we have a lot of room to grow. And if you have experience in missions and you have Jewish friends who are believers in Jesus, uh, offer your experience and your expertise. We have a lot of room to grow here. We, in terms of uh, a big body of Jewish believers, are a relatively young community, only you know, 50, 60 years old here in the States, and we have a lot of room to grow in terms of 
to use a big word, our missiology, you know, our methods of outreach and reaching our own people and the nations. But um, despite that area for growth, I think the scriptures are clear that the idea of Jewish believers being involved in missions is front and center. I mean, the, the New Testament, two thirds of the thing, including so much of the book of Acts, and, and the first stops on a lot of Paul's missionary journeys are Jewish believers going first to Jewish communities to preach the gospel. And Paul might have gone to Corinth because he wants to reach the Corinthians, right? But it says the first stop he makes is in the local synagogue, even if he gets kicked out because he understood that there's this necessary firstness to Jewish believers proclaiming the gospel to Jewish people and all people. So I would say in terms of, you know, as I look hopefully at the future of the body of Jewish believers or Messianic Jews worldwide in Israel, in North America, in Ethiopia, in Zimbabwe, in Europe and beyond, I see us returning to that irrevocable calling on our people to be the bearers of good news. Uh, you know, Paul quotes, you know, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, but it's an Old Testament scripture he's quoting. And the idea is we have a hope in Israel. We have a Messiah for us and for all nations. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim that good news? Not a New Testament invention. It's an Old Testament idea that's been fulfilled in Jesus. So uh, we do do missions and we can be doing missions a lot more than we are. But again, as you said earlier, it's not to convince or convert Jewish people uh, to become Christians, it's to offer the hope and the promise of the Messiah who came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I'm excited in the future to see Messianic Jews getting more involved in non-Jewish missions, because I think there's a calling there for us as well. And I'm excited to see that happen more and more, but that's a story for another podcast. Good, good. That's a good summary. So yeah. if you had to kind of define your religion, if someone said, Ezra, what is your religion? Would you identify yourself as a Messianic Jew? If somebody understands the term Messianic Jew, I'm going to use it because I'm thankful for the Lord's work in our community to preserve a remnant of Jewish people throughout the centuries and to grow that this day and age of people who are Jewish and believe in Jesus. For somebody who doesn't know that term, I'm probably not going to lead with that term. I would say I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus, which inevitably is going to provoke further questions if I'm telling that to a Christian. And it's certainly going to provoke a reaction if I'm saying it to a Jewish person. But that um, allows me to identify ethnically, historically, family, in terms of my own life and my own uh, identity, who I am. And it allows me to identify in whom I believe. So um, yes and no, but generally Jewish believer in Jesus is a term that's more accessible to people. Uh, you know, sometimes it's it's kind of funny. It's both funny and terrible. But uh, I've said to you know people here and there, I'm a Messianic Jew, and then some, one of their friends will come along and they'll say, "This is my friend Ezra. He's a Masonic Jew." And I'm like, "Oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh!" Pause. No, that is not what I said. We are not the Freemasons. You know. So anyway, the term uh, deserves to be explained, and we're you know it's one of the things we're about on this podcast. But I'm going to use it when it adds value and doesn't create confusion. So are there denominations within Messianic Judaism like there are in the Christian church? Not necessarily by that name. I would say within Messianic Judaism, you have this spectrum of adherence to biblical or rabbinic Jewish lifestyle, customs, practices. 
in the same way that you see in the larger Jewish community. So, uh, for example, in this, in Israel, uh, you have Jewish people. All all these people I'm about to name identify as Jewish. Some don't believe God exists. Some are atheists. Some do believe God exists, but they don't really know what that means. They're somewhat agnostic. There is a higher power. Some believe God exists and believe the Bible is God's written word to his people. Some believe that there's a Messiah coming. Some uh, practice Shabbat and don't drive their car and don't work and don't heat food because of their understanding of how to keep Shabbat in a very strict way. Others do drive their car and go to the beach and go order, you know, a shrimp cocktail uh, because they don't have any conviction that Jewish people should continue to eat foods that God said are clean versus unclean. So you have the spectrum. And I would say within the Jewish believing community or the Messianic Jewish community, Carly, it's the same deal. Um, again, what we share is the most important thing. We share a faith in Jesus as the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. Where we differ is what does it look like to be a Jew as a believer in Jesus and to live life in terms of dietary customs, in terms of how to handle the Shabbat, the Sabbath, in terms of who we should marry, in terms of how we pray, in terms of how we raise our kids, you have the spectrum. But I wouldn't use the word denomination necessarily. I would say there's the spectrum of practice and biblical or Jewish lifestyle adherence. But I guess it mirrors the reality of different practices, different traditions, different levels of observance in the Christian community. Yeah, we would have a, you know, a similar spectrum of conservative to less conservative practices. Right. Right. Um, So we're going to ask just a few more kind of lighthearted questions. But before we do that, we just want to remind you, as we mentioned before, that um, you can partner with this podcast by blessing Israel and the Jewish people by becoming a monthly partner. And as a thank you for becoming a monthly partner, we will ship you this coffee that we have from Ethiopia, which is one of the countries that we do outreaches in. Um, it's a great coffee. We just tried some of it last week from the first bag that we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get more details about that on our website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. So just to kind of switch it up, Ezra, I'm mm-hmm. curious what your favorite Christian holiday is. Oh, my favorite Christian holiday. Now I got to cross the aisle here. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think... I'm going to give you two answers because that's a very Jewish thing to do. So, of course, I really like you're going to be surprised what I say. I really like Palm Sunday um, because of the <laughs> to use the, the word of the hour, the messianic expectation of the day. You know, we're celebrating the palm branches and Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives and entering the old city. And in a way, it's a very sobering holiday, right? Because it's the beginning of Holy Week. In essence, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to die to be cut off for the sins of his people. So it's a sobering holiday, but it also points to something we're believing for from the future because Jesus said, you won't see me again. He's speaking to Jerusalem until you say, and in Hebrew, here's some Hebrew for you for today, until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. And what I just said in Hebrew is, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on Palm Sunday, the disciples and those who were on the street are yelling, Hosanna in Hebrew, Hoshiana, which means save Lord, we pray. And so I love Palm Sunday because really it was a very Jewish idea. It was the pronunciation that the Messiah has come. He will save us. And so it always reminds me to pray for that future day when Paul says, you know, and so all Israel will be saved. And we remember that Jesus is coming back to a physical city of Jerusalem. So 
that's my first answer. My other answer is Easter because I love butter. Anybody who knows me knows that bread is just a vehicle to deliver butter to my bloodstream. And I really think it's cool that the Christians have developed a butter in the shape of a lamb. This is <laughs> an innovation we did not achieve as a Jewish people. And kudos to Christians everywhere for figuring out how to shape butter in such messianic uh, uh, forms. Great job. That's my a great reason to love yeah, Easter. There you go. There you go. That's my final. That's my parting thought. So, what about you, Carly? What's your favorite Jewish holiday? Well, I don't have such a deep theological answer like you had, but um, I think my favorite Jewish holiday is Purim, ah. uh, because it's basically like a big party. Right. Um, every time I've experienced a celebration of Purim here uh, at Jewish Voice, there's always some type of play as you know they role play out the story of esther and there's like cheering and booing and then my favorite word which is hamantaschen um Uh are these like little cookies that are shaped kind of like a triangle yeah um and there's various explanations of why they're shaped that way but um it's just like a big celebration Mm -hmm. and that's why i like it i can't think of a holiday in the you know in the christian world that is like quite like that where a play is put on and then we celebrate and eat in the same way that Purim is celebrated. That's it. That's how we can boil down most Jewish holidays, Carly, yes. is someone tried to kill us. God preserved us. Let's celebrate and eat something. Exactly. And that's how we roll. Well, this has been fun. We're out of time, but thanks for listening. Check out more podcasts. Uh, if you want to hear more, subscribe to this podcast wherever you access your podcast content. And we'd love if you'd leave us some feedback. We always want to get better. We want to hear what topics as a Christian exploring things related to Israel and the Jewish people are important to you. And who knows, you might even hear your question or your requested topic on a future episode. Also, try to follow us on social media, A Jew and a Gentile Discuss, uh, whatever social media platform you're using. It's likely you'll find us there. Uh, so send your questions also into a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. There's a place on our website where you can add your question. And again, we hope to be able to answer it real soon. So until next time, this is Ezra and Carly. Thanks for listening to a Jew and a Gentile discuss. Join us again next time. Thanks for listening. I wanted to quickly let you know about a special video episode where Carly and I actually blind taste test the Lost Tribes coffee. So watch and see if Carly and I can guess which coffee is ours among five others. Check it out on our website. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.